everyone and welcome to the next episode of The Third Wheel. I'm Mel Debenham, a partner in the Projects, Energy and Infrastructure team based in Perth and I'm joined by my co-host and uh, co-conspirator Tim Stutt, uh, who is our Australian ESG lead and expert in all things um, disclosure and reporting related. Um, Tim, we're catching up today for a chat after the Climate Governance Forum, uh, which was an event held in Sydney last week by the Australian Institute of Company Directors. Um, and it was fantastic for me to be able to join in person this year and sort of soak in all the discussion um, around all things climate, as well as catch up with you. Um, so that, that's what we're here to chat about today. Thanks, Mel. It it was a it was a good event. Um, for those those listening in who aren't aware, the Climate Governance Forum is an annual event put together by the Australian chapter of the Climate Governance Initiative. The Climate Governance Initiative is a director's network which came out of the World Economic Forum. There's different chapters globally uh, and the Australian chapter is hosted by the Australian Institute of Company Directors or the AICD as they're better known. Um, and in that context has has become quite a engaged and powerful uh, group of people. And there is quite a bit of momentum behind the grouping from a climate governance perspective. I think um, at the at the Climate Governance Forum on Friday, the 11th of August, there were some thousand people in the room, another thousand people online, and and quite a broad range of different organisations picked up as well. Um, some of them large listed, some of them SMEs, some of them um, some of them not for profits, and also quite a lot of advisors as well. In terms of the content that the forum was sort of um, picking up and, and um, aiming to cover. There was a few different sessions of note, um, which I might step out and then we can throw to Mel and put her on the spot for her for her 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 key key uh, key themes and identified outcomes. But the day kicked off with a keynote from Mike Cannon Brooks, who offered his perspective on decarbonisation and climate transition, including um, some of his focus uh, over the last year or so. It then moved into a session around preparing for mandatory climate reporting, picking up on the uh, the proposed climate reporting regime that Treasury uh, just closed its second consultation on and is aiming to introduce one July next year. There was then a session on transition planning and the path to net zero, a session around the risks of greenwashing, where Deputy Chair Sarah Court from ASIC um, presented regulators' views on greenwashing-related risk uh, and was joined by a director and a slightly rogue lawyer, i.e. myself. Uh, we then heard from uh, Senator Jenny McAllister, who is the Assistant Minister for Climate Change. There was a se session around understanding stakeholder expectations where we had representatives from the ACCR and AACF, Australian Conservation Foundation, uh, present a, 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 a stakeholder um, stakeholder engagement re related view. Uh, and then it closed with a session around biodiversity and, and a focus on 
what do companies need to be thinking about with the Task Force for Nature-Related Financial Disclosure coming out in September. So Mel, it was quite an action-packed agenda. I'd be really keen to, to get your thoughts on key themes or, or things that you think our listeners would benefit from uh, in terms of takeaways, things to be thinking about going into the next period. Uh, certainly. And it was, I mean, while it was a climate focused event, I think a lot of what came out of the day is actually of broader implication. And, and that was probably one of the big takeaways for me as well as just the sort of interrelationship and connectedness of ESG issues um, in contemporary contemporary business life and, and Australia. Um, one of the key themes to come out of the forum, and I think every session, Tim, that you mentioned had some sort of touch point on this, um, but it certainly um, was, was set very clearly by Mike Cannon-Brooks initially, was that there's urgency to the issues, but this isn't a risk mitigation exercise, right? There is significant opportunity for Australia um, and for businesses from an economic perspective, and there's urgency to seizing that opportunity now. Um, so many of the of the speakers picked up on that. And um, I know that it's a thing that we've spoken about quite a bit as well, Tim, that, you know, there are two sides to the coin. Um, and, and a lot of the work that we have done in the Unlocking Investment in ESG report released last year was trying to look at the opportunity and, and what uh, what's needed to unlock it. Um, and, and I think decarbonisation inherently um, is presenting such an opportunity just not just for renewables and energy, right, um, right across the economy in Australia. So that was something that really struck me um, to, to hear probably as much discussion around the opportunity as the risk this, this year. It, it was interesting in the planning for our greenwashing related panel that we were very nervous about being the scary naysayers in the middle yeah. of the program. Yeah. And um, that point around opportunity was it was something that we even thought about from the greenwashing perspective. And that was sort of why um, in talking about some of the regulatory developments and, and um uh, Deputy Chair Sarah Court giving ASIC's view on how they're approaching enforcement uh, and applying some of the existing regulation in relation to sustainability claims and environmental claims. There is a, um, a sort of stick element to some of it, but there is also a carrot element to some of it as well. And that that sort of picks up um, the benefits that will be reaped from having granular, comparable climate-related information in the market, uh, you know, starting next year, uh, although a lot of companies have already started going down the path voluntarily. But also a discussion that we had on the panel around aspiration versus targets as well, and the idea that it's okay to have aspirations, it's okay to have goals around things, and that information about a company's thinking on a particular issue such as climate change is relevant information stakeholders want to hear and that the market will be better informed by um, as a indication of direction of travel but it needs to be done um, in conjunction with the proper homework and framed in the right way so you're not going to be at risk of having misled um, readers of your corporate reporting 
uh, around what your progress is and, and what your pathway is that actually um, in, in presenting the aspirations and identifying the opportunities you're working towards, there is a need to do so in a way where it's pretty practical and pretty um, transparent around progress pathways, dependencies, contingencies, all of that. Um, so hopefully that was a theme which came through even from a greenwashing, greenwashing point of view. It, it definitely was, and I think that was a nice segue into the second theme for me, which is, you know, a focus on action. Um, and when we're thinking about reporting and disclosures, you know, it's not about reporting and disclosing for, for the sake of reporting and disclosure. Um, the focus really needs to be on, on action and taking no action is an action in, a, in and of itself and a risky action. And I think that that was Kathleen Bailey Lord's observation. So she's an independent non-executive director at Alinta. Um, and that was echoed by David Bodie as well, chair of Zero. So, you know, in grappling with these new reporting and disclosure requirements that you've mentioned, Tim, um, which which have a level of complexity around them, trying to get people to focus on the things that matter, right? What are we doing? Reporting needs to be about actions. How do we make sure that those are the right actions, that the actions are real? Um, so, you know, not putting the cart before the horse, I guess, in, in how we're approaching these new obligations. Um, so, yeah, that, that again, I think, came through a number of the sessions. Mm. I think David made that point really well around, um, yes, the regulation is complex and becoming more complex and more will, will be required and that will have an impact in terms of resourcing and um, all of that, but actually that shouldn't overshadow the need to be taking con concrete actions and also the need to be tying these issues through to business strategy as well. That was consistent with some observations that uh, ACCR made as well um, around, you know, are we focusing on the right issue? There's a lot of focus on terminology and language and disclosures and reporting, but what we need to be talking about is a substantive issue. Um, so uh, I think a real call to action on action came out of the conference. Um, and probably picking up on, on something I mentioned before, sort of the interrelationship between issues. Um, there, it was a really strong theme for me that climate isn't special, um, that the time for viewing climate in terms of action or reporting in a differential way to other business risks is gone, right? So climate issues need to be integrated into business strategy. Uh, climate risk needs to be thought about in the same way as financial risk. It's core business and it needs to be treated as such. I think that was one which was interesting too um, in the context of the panel around biodiversity and nature and talking a little bit about the T TNFD, um, which will be released in, in September, um, and the way in which the financial impact um, and, and, and valuation of na nature-related impacts uh, will be brought through reporting as well. I think um, you know, while it's an area 
where there is going to need to be a lot of um, a lot of development over the next little while. Like it is quite nascent. Um, it will be really interesting to see how that how that comes um, comes to be. I.e., gets fleshed out with more detail and so on and so forth. The idea of um, assigning a value to 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 natural assets um, makes good sense from that point of view, and and will be, I think, an interesting odyssey for quite a lot of companies. Very difficult, um, very difficult uh, to assign the values on the way in and the way out. Um, but actually, particularly for businesses that don't have a footprint. This is the this is the the challenge I think for you know I think about mining resources um, they'll probably they will be better at this right because they've had to do environmental impact assessment they've had to understand and quantify impact but um, you know it's an order of magnitude more tricky than climate because you know ecosystems are complex right and and they're not easily sort of um, distilled into a metric, like a tonne of carbon. Um, and then it's an order of magnitude more difficult for people that are looking at supply, you know, the, the reach of their business um, that don't have a footprint because that's not information that you would have generated yourself. So you're wholly, re wholly reliant on um, information from others. So I think that's a really tricky issue that's going to be more prevalent for businesses and boards to be grappling with. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. But ultimately, it, it, you know, the ability to value some of these assets will be really quite impactful in terms of bringing it into core business considerations and and having it um, having it thought about in that way. Yeah, I learnt a new word at the event, Tim. Um, which it's it's not a real word, but um, it. Are you, are you no. allowed to are you allowed to say it on the podcast in front of our listeners? So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can. Um, so Volanditry, um, and and I am going to um, attribute the word to Sarah Barker from Mint at Ellison because <laughs> um, she she did refer to Volanditry obligations, although it was a theme that came out of all of the sessions. It just hadn't been coined in such a pithy way. But, you know, thinking about these um, emerging obligations, a way of doing business or performance standards, however you want to describe them, that aren't enshrined in a law, but nonetheless, you have to comply with them. There are other reasons why you have to. Might be that shareholders require you to you might have a relationship with a traditional owner group that requires you to. Um, so volanditary obligations. Uh, and so much of what we are seeing in this space, maybe not so much for climate now, where we've got a climate act from a Commonwealth perspective, safeguard mechanism has been uh, reformed and we will have mandatory reporting and disclosure requirements very soon. But obviously in respect of nature and some of the other aspects of of um, ESG, I, I think we are in that kind of volunteer space. I think one one area of that which will be really interesting to watch as well is um, S1 from so the International Sustainability Standards Board um, 
the standard one for sustainability related risks and opportunities. You know, clearly, the Commonwealth Government has designed its mandatory climate reporting regime for Australia around S2, which relates to climate, is a bit more granular because it has a particular issue in mind and it picks up aspects of it, such as transition plan, scope three. Um, it, it is a bit more tailored and granular around what's required. S1, um, though, has the potential to sort of form a a part of stakeholder expectations or global global um, global practice given that it will be mandatorily required in some jurisdictions and there may be some global businesses which find a need to be reporting against it and that will have a, a trickle on type um, impact so it'll be interesting to see if over the next little while it does become volandatory in Australia um, it's it 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 is a really interesting one too because while it sets out the framework, um, the process around understanding and identifying the sustainability related risks and opportunities for a particular business can, in and of itself, be a fairly significant exercise, um, and and there is a need for for real um, real uh, rigor of process around that that sort of materiality um, exercise to identify those risks and opportunities. So um, it, it'll be an interesting one to see how S1 sort of has an impact in Australia from that point of view, notwithstanding that the government isn't presently intending to legislate for it. Um, Tim, I know that you have been doing a lot of work recently um, on the new reporting requirements in Australia. Um, if people who are listening want to get a bit more information on those, um, we've got resources available, um, accessible on the website, yeah? Yes, we do indeed. So we have uh, we have a, a pretty pretty good outline of the key features of the regime, which uh, is available on our website, hsf.com. Uh, we also have a series of podcasts, not competing podcasts, Mel, so so don't, ah! don't stress from that point of view, but uh, sort of five or so minute um, bite-sized uh, audio, audio, audio sort of files on different aspects of both the, um, the proposed climate reporting regime, but other ESG reporting um, concepts and issues which are emerging. The idea is uh, it's called Reporting for Duties. Um, and the idea is that we'll be running that series over the next month or two throughout the reporting season, uh, so clients can get a bit of a a bit of a primer on some of the things to be thinking about, some of the key concepts which are coming up, some of the trends that we're seeing through ESG reporting this reporting season, uh, and hopefully we'll be in a good a good place to uh, leap into action with uh, some of the evolution in reporting next year. I think that is a perfect way to um, wrap up our, our observations. Um, so, Tim, thanks um, for taking some time um, out during a very busy reporting season. Um, it's been great for us to be able to share some of the observations coming out of the Climate Governance Forum um, and no doubt we'll continue to be thinking about all that we heard, um, and I suspect there will be a podcast on philanthropy obligations sometime soon. Um, but thanks for listening in, and we look forward to you joining us next time on The Third Wheel. In the spirit of reconciliation, 
Herbert Smith Freehills acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Herbert Smith Freehills. For more episodes, please go to our channel on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud and visit our website, herbertsmithfreehills.com for more insights relevant to your business.